Hello, I'm Annie Ridout, author, journalist, poet and host of this podcast, Home. Today I'm speaking with the author, journalist and podcast host, Clover Stroud, who recently moved from the UK to Washington DC with three of her five children to be reunited with her husband. We talk about rural versus urban life, uprooting children and Clover's lifelong search for home. We come to a few conclusions about what home might be. Hello, Clover Stroud, and welcome to Home Podcast. Hi, Annie. It's really very, very nice to see your face from from, um, where I am in Washington, D.C. It's lovely to think that you're there in England. Uh, um, So we're obviously going to get on to what you're doing in Washington, D.C., but I would love to start at the beginning and hear about where you were born and raised. Hmm. I mean, I absolutely love the premise of this this conversation, let's say, this podcast and this conversation, because it's some, home is something that has obsessed me since I can first remember being conscious of everything. But I was born I was born in Oxford, and I don't really remember. I mean, we moved out on my seventh birthday, and I don't clearly remember Oxford. I can remember it as one remembers, you know, early childhood, like a sort of flashes of a film or something almost, rather than rather than full developed scenes. I have little, little memories of like being on a pavement and walking to a, to a post box, but I don't really remember it. And the feeling of gravel on a pavement, but I don't, maybe that's from falling over, but I don't remember it so clearly. But when on my seventh birthday, we moved to a village in Wiltshire because my mother, my sister and me were the youngest of her five children and our elder siblings were a bit older and she very much wanted us to have, having bought the older three children up in Oxford, she really wanted us to have rural life and country life. So we moved out of the city and moved to quite a remote village. And and I lived there until I was 18. And that experience of the place that I grew up, the kind of richness of rural life, the oddness of rural life, the feeling of home sort of within the fields, I suppose, and the feeling of wet, muddy England and blackthorns and buttercups and apple trees is absolutely, and 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 a kind of quite unpicturesque, not unpicturesque, but it's not like, it's not the Cotswolds at all. It was, it was muddy and low-lying and wet, and we lived in a kind of quite a big but very rambling sort of ramshackle house, and it was... I mean, we all look back with, well, if we're lucky, we look back with with rose-tinted glasses, but it was a really, really incredibly beautiful childhood. It was very lyrical. It was very wild, I suppose, in terms of we had a lot of freedom. And um, Nell and I grew up doing lots of riding and we went to local schools, like the village school. So we know, knew tons of people in the local community. And um, we had this sort of funny combination of it being quite old fashioned and also very unconventional and quite sort of bohemian. I don't really like the word bohemian, but kind of, you know, quite sort of creative. My dad was working away in London, working in TV. And it was a, um, it was just a really, really beautiful, I have an incredibly beautiful memory of home. And I think that that's, I mean, talking to you about it now, I can feel myself getting emotional because it also ended very, very abruptly in the space of a single day because my mum had this terrible accident, a riding accident when I was 16. So it was as though home was this beautiful place, which 
became an absolute nightmare within the space of a single day because mum mum was left with really profound brain damage. But that feeling of home, wanting home, trying to define it, trying to find it, trying to recreate it, sometimes trying to escape it, um, is it occupies me so much. And I think about it so much. I think it's so important. So you had this idyllic sounding wild rural childhood with your I didn't realize you're one of five you have gone on to have five children yourself yes I also think I'm really interested by the way we unwittingly sort of recreate the circumstances of our own childhood I mean I know that I certainly did I didn't mean to but like my mom I had to I mean I've I got married and then I got divorced and and I got remarried again, had five kids, took my kids out to the countryside to grow, to grow up. And that sort of desire, that pull of the past and that pull of if it has been really happy, maybe if it's been unhappy as well, people have that same desire to kind of find it again in some way or another. I think it's really, it's really interesting. So you turned 16 and had the disastrous day where your mum um, suffered the brain injury and what happened to home life at that time um well mum mum was in a coma for sort of four months and I was in the first term of my A-levels and my elder siblings had all long left home and were sort of married and had kids and stuff so they were quite they were around and you know but they weren't at home whereas me and Nell were at home and my dad was away during the week so it was a really weird situation where my mum was in a coma for a long time, going in and out. We were going visiting her in hospital, but then she gradually woke up. And when she woke up, she came to live at home for two years with carers and nurses to look after her because she was very, very, very ill and she couldn't do anything. And she was epileptic and doubly incontinent and she didn't understand anything. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't walk. She couldn't do anything. Um so we had so we tried to ha- have her living at home with us. So Nell and I were in this really weird situation where we were living in this quite big house and we had lots and lots of freedom. Like you know, if you live in the if you grow up in the country, you learn to drive really early on and things like that when you're a kid because you sort of have to. And then we doubly had to because we didn't really have any parents around. We had our mum there who was completely brain damaged and nurses looking after her. So it was horrific. Yeah, it was also, we were 16 and 18. We were also in this weird situation where we were sort of, you know, we had total freedom. We could do totally what we wanted. I did work hard. I got into a really good university, but but we had total freedom and it was quite kind of wild and weird. And it was the 90s and we started raving and taking drugs and doing ecstasy. And that was definitely an escape from this, basically this sort of gothic horror show that home had become and it wasn't I think if mum had died because mum remained alive for 22 years so if she had died there would have been a very traumatic and incredibly sad and difficult end but there but there would have been a sense of an ending whereas because she had this brain damage that created a sense of maybe mum's going to get better you know maybe with the right rehabilitation maybe if we love her enough maybe if she is at home and she's around her familiar surroundings, maybe she will return and she, you know, she might be a bit frail or she might not be able to talk or she might, but but she will be, you know, she will, we will be able to look after her and have her living at home. So, but she didn't get to that 
place and home became a really distorted really honestly really terrifying version of something beautiful that had been there before so this kitchen table which I'm actually sitting at right now um in Washington (laughs) where I'm living right now is you know which had been a place of my siblings sitting around it and parties and having breakfast before school with my mum and I remember her making homemade bread and you know this this kitchen table was representative of something really beautiful the heart of home and the heart of the family and it sort of it's like it all broke down and there were no there wasn't people around the table anymore or if they were they were in a state of extreme trauma because brain damage brain damage is is very 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 traumatic it was as though she suddenly had um like acute dementia or something overnight it was that you know people say what was she like she was she was really sort of demented basically and to go from a, a mother who absolutely gave us just like so much love and so much um now she really loved me and now she really really made us feel as though we could do anything and we could and she believed in us totally and she spent loads of time with us and she was always here at this table and suddenly for that to just be gone but gone in a really horrific way so she was sort of still there but she wasn't there at all was was awful it was so awful and um and I find it actually talking to you, I feel really emotional talking about it because I've never lost the the memory of the trauma of that time. And I think and I, and and that was so between sixteen and eighteen when when we were living at home and with mum and the nurses was really 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 difficult. And and then when I was eighteen, I went off and I. I got into university and they said they wanted me to have two years off because of what I'd been through. So and then I needed time. So I went off and I went and lived in Ireland and I left home and I didn't, I walked out of that house and mum was still living there with nurses and Nell had gone off to university and it was a kind of shell of a place. I mean, all the stuff was still there, the, but it was a shell, emotionally, it was a shell of a place. And I left and I, I and then the house was sold about, eight months later so I never saw it dismantled as well so I have a strange thing in my mind which is that in my mind I feel like I can you know I never saw that house empty I never saw it without our pictures on the walls and the kitchen table there and I in my mind I sometimes imagine that I can go back there and it's all exactly the same and it's such a it's such a beautiful and painful memory that and I then, you know, I then went off and did some quite kind of wild or out there travel and adventuring and pushing myself to place quite extreme places. But the kind of desire for home and the desire to find home has totally driven me all the way through and haunted me and and um, obsessed me, actually, I think, that that need to kind of to create and I don't know. I mean, when we talk about home, I, I, don't, I don't know whether what we're talking about is a desire for a kind of childlike, infantilized state in a way, the comfort of home, the place that we can be where we don't have the adult, you know, the kind of constant thump of adult anxiety that so many of us mm. live with. I just think that 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 desire to escape or retreat maybe to a place where there is there is a lack of responsibility and a sense of comfort and a sense of 
simplicity perhaps and um it's really hard to find and it's hard to create I think do you think that for many of us the mother is home I think I mean I think so when I stand at the school gates and I've my oldest child is 23 and my youngest is seven so I've been at the school gates for a long time and I've got quite a long time to go still there. when I'm standing at the school gates I definitely think it's the mother I mean I definitely or the female figure it's a mother it's the granny it's the like childminder you know and they are always female I mean obviously the mother and the granny are but the childminder is pretty much always female as well and so yes I think that maternal um strength and and kind of presence I suppose at the heart of things is really important I'm also really close to my dad but he is not emblematic of of home to me in the same way that my mum is And so you went off to university and after university, where did you settle? Well, I, f- I first of all, I went to live in Ireland for two years. Well, I didn't, I wasn't in Ireland for quite for two years, but I went to live in Ireland and I worked in a restaurant in Dublin. I was the world's worst waitress. And and then I went off to the kind of West Coast looking for sort of adventure and Irish music and the feeling of the wet landscape that I love away from the city I've always gone away from cities. I've never lived in, I mean, I'm living in a city now, but I've never lived in London, for example. I've lived in Oxford. I lived in Dublin briefly, but I went to the West Coast of Ireland. And then I started traveling with in a horse-drawn wagon. So I was traveling around for about two years in Ireland and then in, back in England, buying and selling horses and living in this wagon. And I loved the feeling of a, of a, you know, it was like a sort of gypsy wagon, a kind of barrel top wagon. And we lived in it and it was very cosy. And I love the feeling of the campfire and the cast iron kettle and having horses tethered outside. And the life was pretty tough and rough and uncomfortable and muddy and dirty a lot of the time. But it was also cosy and rich in a kind of spiritual resonance of the landscape and, the, and a closeness to the horses, I suppose. So I did that for two years and then I went to university. And then I, um, and then after university, I went to live in America because I had a I had a strong desire for. I've always gone towards horses. Mum had a riding accident. I grew up with ponies, but I have always gone towards horses as a way of, kind of spiritual escape. I suppose they represent they actually represent home to me. They totally represent home because of, and I don't mean a kind of posh, show jumping and dressage type of horse life. It's like which I think a lot of people associate horses with, but like just muddy ponies out in fields. And, um, you know, I've always found ways to keep a pony. When I was a single mother living in Oxford, I kept a pony for £10 a week on a on an allotment. And there's a lot of things I couldn't afford, but that, you know, sort of making that work was really important. But I went, so straight after university, I went to live in Texas and I went and I worked on a ranch there. And I found that really interesting because I thought I can create a totally new type of home out on this extreme red rock, extreme uh, West Texan, you know, and it's like a sort of fantasy of a country, of a, um, cow, you know, a sort of cowboy movie. There was cactuses and a bunkhouse and outcrops of red rock. I was working in this place called the Palajuro Canyon. 
And I was working as a cowgirl in a really, really tough patriarchal place. I found I kind of talked my way onto a ranch. And I thought I can escape home and I can create a new home where the reality of my mum's accident and brain damage and being someone who people are worried about because we've got this mother who's got brain damage and it's always like, how's mum? I don't have to answer that question. I don't even have to be associated with that. I don't have to think about that. And, and of course, you know, you can't just run away from stuff. You can't escape the past. I don't, I think you can't, you can't deny it. I think you can escape it in some ways, but the past kept coming at me, I suppose. And I remember my sister Nell coming out to stay with me in Texas. And up until then, I've been thinking, yes, I'm, I could like marry a cowboy and live out on a ranch and drive a pickup and ride horses and lead a really different life to the one that I grew up with. And then Nell arrived and I saw her. And I just remember thinking, I could never leave her. I could never leave England. I could never like desert all of that and I knew that I would go back again um so I went back to England a few months later and then I quite tellingly had a baby really really quick you know quite quick within about a year of coming back from Texas I had a baby because my desire to create home and find home was so overridingly strong and I definitely associated children and motherhood and babies with a sense of home because that's what I kind of grown up with mum really loved her role as a mother or if she didn't love it she didn't tell us about it I mean I'm sure she got bored by it the fact that she went off and rode horses fast suggests to me that she was looking for other outlets of you know escape (laughs) she wasn't just baking bread around the kitchen table and and um so she she probably did want to escape from it but I Having children in my, I mean, I I had known from when I was really young that I wanted kids. And that, and I think there was a very, very strong association with the security of home and family life. Had you come back to England and got into a new relationship? Yeah, I came back to England and I, I there was somebody who I'd known as a student. He wasn't a student. He was a friend of my sister's. He was a musician and... I'd known him since I was a teenager and I'd been quite in love with him actually. So I came back and and we started having a relationship and I was got pregnant very you know like 3 months after I got back from Texas I was pregnant. And I was 24 which is not that young but it you know none of my friends were doing it at that stage and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea how to make money or how to kind of do anything really. Um uh, it was then that I started writing and I and I started um, kind of doing bits of journalism and then I started writing for tons of different trade magazines and copywriting and writing for anybody that I could. And it was very motivating. I mean, you, you will know what it's like. Having a child is incredibly motivating and it really focuses you, mm-hmm. doesn't it? So I had Jimmy, my son, and then I had Dolly and I was living in Oxford in a re- and I was lucky in some ways because... We had a house, a really small house. It was a two, it was almost like a one and a half bedroom house. Had one double bedroom and one single bedroom, which was my family home had been sold by then. But my dad bought this, bought this house uh, for me and my sister to live in while we were at university because we both went to the same university. And so I could live there. So I had a had a roof over my head. And that was a real sort of salvation for me because then 
when my marriage broke down very rapidly, actually. So Jimmy was three and my daughter Dolly was a newborn baby. Um, we split up, but I had somewhere to live and I could live on very, very, very little and be making tiny little bits of money from writing and working in a bookshop and teaching English as a foreign language. But it was just enough to cobble together to create a life for ourselves. And that home, I mean, it was I, I actually loved home as a single mother. I loved I was really lucky to have that house. And I'm aware that I wasn't having to, like, make rent every month. So that was, you know, I was very privileged from that point of view. But I loved the closeness to my children that um, that single motherhood gave me and the, and the kind of importance of home as a place to be and painting it different colours and, you know, living in Oxford was fun, finding things in car boot sales and finding things given away in the street. And we had a, I was living on very little money, but we had a really, really good time. And we had a very cosy time and a very home orientated time as well. That was really important. Um, And then one of the, I think the thing I'm almost proudest in my life of, I've got five kids but I think, and I'm obviously really proud of them and I absolutely adore them, but and I'm really proud of everything that they are. But when I was about 30, I bought a house on my own and I didn't, I hadn't been given any money or anything. And it was quite a very ugly house in a housing estate. It wasn't a sort of, it was in Oxford where I was living and it wasn't one of the sort of pretty little Victorian terraces where everyone that I knew was living. It was sort of off on its own. But walking into that, being given those keys, realizing that I could buy a house on what I was making as a journalist and that I could support my children in that way and move out of this house that belonged to my mother that I really did want to. For me, it's sort of, I was lucky to live there, but it also represented something really sad because it had been bought because of her accident. Buying this house Mm. was like, I can still feel myself now walking through those rooms and realizing those rooms were going to be my rooms and be my home with the children. And it was just the most outstandingly powerful feeling. And um, and it was it was, yeah, I think it is kind of one of the things I feel proudest of, of being able to being able to buy that house and and create this in a in this sort of pretty ugly, not very, not very picturesque place at all, create this really, really lovely home for me and the kids. And then I met Pete, who I'm married to now, and we had another three children. Yeah. And then we that also when Evangeline was born, my so I met Pete, I had Jimmy and Dolly, and then my daughter was born, who's 11 now. And I got postnatal depression. And I absolutely 100 percent think that that was because of an anxiety about home, an anxiety of like, we've got a growing family. I had became overcome with a really, really powerful, having been really happy in Oxford in this house, I was overcome by a really powerful desire to go move back to the countryside and have the kind of, and this is like, we were talking about the recreation of home, Mm -hmm. have the rural life that I had grown up with. And I became, you know, with postnatal depression, you can become obsessed by things. And I became absolutely obsessed. How do I, how do I move out to the country? How do I do it? And also it worked for everybody else, for my teenage kids and for my husband who needs to get to London for work. And how do we put this complex jigsaw puzzle together? And in a way, 
we've been trying to sort of work out how to put that jigsaw puzzle together of where home should be. You know, we're, that's why I'm living in Washington now. <laughs> we're still trying to work out the answer of where do you be that where everybody feels at home. And if you've come from really different home, if your de- definition of home is really different, how do you, Pete, Pete loves urban life and urban life is what makes sense to him. He doesn't, he, he is an amazing guy and he'll, he comes and engages with rural life with me, but it doesn't, it doesn't really appeal to him in the way that it does to me. And I think that that, so I'm always really, I mean, I'm really interested by the way you're, because you've moved, haven't you? How you how you're making it work too, and how? Yeah. You... Well, I'm I'm yeah, I'm from London, yeah. and probably all people have often said to me, I don't seem like I'm from London, and so it probably. And my mum always said she thought I would end up living in Somerset, and I have, and now she's probably pissed off that she said that because she's still in London. <laughs> but, but I think London is more in me than I realise. And so I do miss it. And um, like Pete, I like the I love the pace of London and the culture. And I do feel I'm more me there, but I'm enjoying feeling calm uh, here. But um, you you had this idea that you wanted a more rural life and you did move Mm. into. We did. Yes. In 2014, we left the, the the house in Oxford and we moved outside of Oxford and we bought a cottage, which was a it was a two bedroom cottage. We had four children at that point. So we had a van and then we had another child called Dash. Jimmy and Dolly were like young teenagers. We moved into this cottage, which was way smaller than we could live in, really. It was smaller than the house that we were living in in Oxford. But it had um, it had a it had sort of three quarters of an acre around it. So it had a garden and it had a little barn and it had a tiny, tiny paddock all within actually about two thirds of an acre. And it had this beautiful open sort of plain of landscape beside it. And it was close to these hills called the Ridgeway where there's this incredible chalk horse, Uffington White Horse, which is like 3000 years old. It was near to the a landscape that really appeals to me, which is like Wiltshire, Oxfordshire, which is full of kind of Neolithic standing stones and long barrows and this sense of the human within the landscape. So we went, we bought a house there and we went to live there. And it was really hard to be honest with you. I really, I also really, really missed Oxford and spent so long in the car driving all the kids around and Jimmy got into loads of trouble. Uh, He was 14 and he just, and it's that I wrote about that in my second book, my wild and sleepless sites. He when I was pregnant with my fifth child, Lester, who's now seven, Jimmy got expelled from his state school in the in the little town that he was going to. And there was just so many things to hold, like newborn babies, toddlers, preschoolers, an adolescent boy, a pre-adolescent girl. I was in the middle of the countryside. I was just surrounded by mud and darkness and having to drive cars that, you know, I could never afford a very good car. The cars were always breaking down constantly, mm-hmm. driving, breaking down cars. And it was chaos. That time was total chaos. And I think it was actually when I wrote my first book, The Wild Other, and I look back on it and I think, I don't know how I did that. Actually, that was so wild. I mean, it was literally wild in terms of the behaviour of everybody. And Pete, the demands on Pete got more and more intense with his work. And he stopped with spending time in London. And then it was too far to commute from where we were to London. So he'd stay in London during the week. And... 
but it was also fun you know the landscape was there and the and didn't really have any horses I had like the occasional little Shetland pony I bought for the kids but it's really dealing with children and we did an extension on the house and we we had to live in caravans for about eight months and I was pregnant with Lester and the baby the kids were the little kids were toddlers and it was just mud and chaos everywhere and it was really really out there experience it really really was um and it was and I kept thinking I, I, for a while, I thought, Annie, I really thought I've made a really bad mistake. Shouldn't have left Oxford, should have stayed in Oxford, or we should have moved to London. We couldn't afford to move to London anyway at that stage. But I, in my sort of confused brain, I thought we should have moved to London or we should have moved closer to London so that Pete could be at home more. And I and I kept I spent ages on on the Zoopla and Right Move looking at houses, thinking there must be a home where the the jigsaw puzzle of where everybody should live and how we can all be in a place that pleases everybody, I can find the answer to that. And I constantly put the house on and off the market. I was constantly like thinking, I'm going to sell it and then we're going to move to Buckinghamshire and that will deal with everything. That will deal with the problems. And of course the problems were like, you know, in my head. They wouldn't have gone away if I'd moved to a house in in Hillsbury mm. or something like that. They really, really wouldn't have done. And it was actually lockdown when Pete was sort of at home and, and everybody was at home and we were surrounded by this beautiful countryside and the sort of remoteness of it suddenly was a, it was a complete blessing rather than an irritation that, you know, that it was, you have to drive everywhere. And it was really during that time and, and Nella died as well, just before lockdown and being... In that landscape, I felt really, really deeply held by a sense of home within that landscape. Like, I really, really belong here, and here belongs to me. And I'd spent a lot of time as a kid on the Ridgeway, so I had, like, memories of that landscape. And I'd been raving and taken ecstasy there and and been walking with my kids there. And suddenly, and also the sense of community, I think that is such an important part of home that... You know, we think of it as about rooms and tables and paints and curtains. It's not about that. It's about the people around you. And that is where comfort comes from. That's where the comfort of home comes from, I think. And mm. and my incidental friendships with people who, you know, other mums the, in the village school or going to the village shop, seeing the same cars on the roads, knowing who to go and talk to when the drains were blocked knowing who to go and like talk to when there was a infestation of ants or the septic tank had like exploded or all those things like you start to feel like I belong I really know I know who I am here and I know and I'm part of here and that was a really incredible time actually and I almost felt like I started having a sort of really full-on love affair with that landscape and with the sense of being belonging there and so when Pete said, when the kind of question of he was spending longer and longer in America, working in America, and the question of moving over to America, when it first came up, I was just, that's a joke. That's not going to, you know, that is not going to happen. We're never going to, this is our home. We've created this really nice house. It's quite, you know, there's quite a lot of rooms where there's water coming through the ceiling, but it is our home and we really, really love it. I'm not going to move to America. And this conversation went on and on 
And then it was people spending more and more time here. And then, you know, the question of well, what what is home? If he's not here, if I'm here with the kids on my own, but he's in America, is this home? And and what is it without him? And and I'm, you know, we're married and I love being with him, and he's a really lovely dad and a lovely stepdad to my elder children. And so he got his visa, and then and then the kind of question of okay, we're going to move to Washington became really over, right, you know, was that all we were talking about. And I found leaving, I found making that wrench away from Oxfordshire really, 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 really difficult. And it really made me think deeply about what home is and what it means. And and that's when I realised as well how much it is about the kind of local connections and also the local rituals the things of walking down the same bit of pavement or going to the same corner shop. And it doesn't, for me, home is in the countryside, but it, you know, it could eat, it, it could be, and I love the feeling of the openness of the landscape. And I really think that that has actually really helped my creativity. A kind of, I spent a lot of time on my own in the last house in Oxfordshire. And I was there with the kids on my own. And I wrote four books in five years. And I do think that it was the sort of, I do think it was the the oddness of the landscape and the big lyrical sort of hills and the skies and how much I started thinking about feeling and what, what the feeling of human life is about. Do you think, a rural landscape creates space in the way that a, a city like London um, kind of take the people and the energy of it takes up so much mental yeah. and physical space. Yeah. There's maybe less time to be yeah. creative. And also, well, I, I mean, I'm really interested by that now. And I, that's exactly what I was going to say, because I do find it. So I'm living in Washington now. We moved here in August. The plan is to stay here for sort of two or three years. And I am interested. With the younger, yeah, the younger three and the elder. My daughter came over for the summer, and they're going to come over for the holidays. But now home is split because the other, the elder, and our house is rented out in in Oxfordshire, and the elder two kids are at university in England, and I've got the younger ones here in school here. So that splitting home up in that way really has I found really difficult as well. But um, I think that the urban landscape, I can definitely feel it being hyper. I mean, I get a bit overexcited by the coffees and the bookshops and the different ways of traveling around. Whereas being in the country, go for a walk, I go and see my horses, but there's a lot of time which is quite still and is quite ostensibly quite boring. It could be quite boring as well. And, you know, people say the countryside is boring. Actually, I don't think it's boring at all. I think it's like a deeply creative, incredibly rich place full of human longing and suffering and just as much human life as the as the city is really but in a different way but i but i do think that that rural life well i don't know i mean i'm due to write another book while i'm here but i but in the last year i wrote a book about home called the giant on the skyline which is about what does home mean and how do we create it? And is it a place or is it the feeling of a place? And is it our memory of a place? And is it the people that are there? And, you know, what what, what do we sort of let go of and what do we hold on to when we move? And, um, and I have really realised as well, being in Washington and not really knowing anybody, 
that I do feel a lack of comfort. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go and buy, you know, obviously I'm in America, there's like tons of opportunities for buying. So I'll go and buy some pumpkin spice candles because it's November or October. I'll go and buy like a fluffy blanket. That is not what makes you feel comforted. And I was thinking, why am I finding this unsatisfied? You know, I feel unsatisfied by something. And it's because there is a lack of the comfort of friendship and community. And obviously that takes time. And obviously I'm meeting people and, you know, there's a different kind of community, which I'm understanding here. But I think that that the power of our relationships with people, with other people, lie at the heart of home and you're a very unusual person to want to live in a completely remote place and not see other people I mean most of us like some chat with you know and the kind of the sense of being part of something to live in a genuinely isolated place I don't think I could I think I'd find that I mean I think I'd find that quite hard I like I like other people being around um it's interesting the um because you've described so Pete was out in America there was this conversation about whether you were going to leave and your physical home and space and how your family were in it in Oxford uh, sorry in the the countryside yeah um felt like home for the first time in what it's what sounds like a long time yeah but Pete as as, as your partner was in America and you decided to unite with mm. Pete and to be um, your young family out in the states so that you could be with him but then it's also not knowing people beyond your nuclear mm. family mm. in the wider community that you're missing so you've moved for for a person for people but mm. you're also missing people and so it's almost as if how do you find home when there are so many different as you say pieces of the puzzle yeah that need to slot together yeah, and I don't know if I will find home here. Like, I think it's telling that the only bit of furniture we bought was this kitchen table that belonged to my mum. And, you know, I'm living in a in a nice house, but w- whether it will feel like, really like home, I also have the, you know, privilege and 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 comfort of knowing that our house in England is still there and that we will go back to it. And I, th- I think if... Because a part of the conversation before had first of all been, well, we moved to America sort of long term. You know, we'll leave, we'll sell the house and go long term, and that was really, really, really sort of too hot. I couldn't really, I couldn't let go of home and my connections to the landscape of home and the people and the people, and also the feeling of my sister died and my mum died. So Nell died of cancer in 2019 and my mum died in 2013 after being very, very ill for 20, 22 years. And, and I've lost a lot of really, really close friends. Um, and those people definitely remain for me within the landscape. You know, they are embodied within, they are literally in, in the earth. And I find it really hard at times being here because I'm walking through a landscape that they, mum and Nell never, no, Nell did come to America. I don't even know where the mum came to America, but they they never had any sense that I was going to come and live here at all. And I found the fact that I've had no conversations with Nell or references to Nell about being here in Washington is a really sad feeling. And yet it is also 
a kind of liberation in some ways too. You know, that feeling of we're talking about recreating, you recreate the same stuff. And I like that. And also sometimes I don't like that. Sometimes I want to feel as though I'm doing doing something new, I suppose. And there is something exciting about doing something mm. unexpected. You know, I really didn't expect to move to, to Washington at 48. And my life has been full of really quite a few very, very unpleasant surprises that I'm glad I didn't know about. And in a way, this is a, you know, this is, you don't know what's on the horizon. Luckily, you don't know what's on the horizon, but there are extraordinary and there are sad things you don't want to know about, but there are like, you know, kind of surprises, I suppose. And it's quite nice at 48 as well to feel the creative push of, and it's a push rather than a pull of having to move your body and your mind in new ways and make yourself do things in a new way. And moving here has really tested. I found it much harder moving here than I expected. And the creation of home has been harder in a way than I was expecting. But it's quite, it's like learning a new form of exercise or a language or something like that, isn't it? You know, it's a kind of mm. making yourself think in a different and be in a different way. Can I ask, how do you feel? So you had um, two kids in the house in Oxford and you moved out to the countryside. You had three more kids and now you've moved again. How have you found the process of moving your children and, and changing their schools and and sort of uprooting them? Uprooting them. Yeah, I mean, my elder children were, were really good about moving out to the country from Oxford. They then... They, they were, you know, Jimmy was a bit annoyed about it, but then he immediately made loads of friends and they had a good time, too good a time because he ended up getting expelled. But those friends are really, really, really great friends who, who, um, you know, they're, some of them are working now, some are off at uni, some aren't doing anything. They're all in their early 20s. So he created a feeling of belonging there. And then moving here with the, with the younger children, they've... Um, when I'm feeling a bit sort of homesick and sad, I look at the kids and I think they're really, you know, my daughter's gone from a village school of 100 kids to a junior high of nearly 4,000 children where she walks through metal detectors to get into it and she's got her locker. And I just think, look what Evangeline's doing. She's really like, she's a little girl and she's really embracing that big change and it's not totally easy for her. So, so... And the boys as well, you know, they're they're they find it hard. They really miss England. I actually quite love it how much they miss England. Because mm. I've sort of partly been thinking they would be like totally excited by the baseball and the basketball and the hamburgers and the diners and you know, the kind of shiny, glittery element of America, because it is exciting. But they talk about the field, you know, we have a field at home and they talk about missing the field and missing their friends from the village school and missing the hill and stuff and I have worked really hard and very consciously at embodying the landscape of that place of Oxfordshire where we were living with a sense of home and I really really wanted them to feel deeply connected to it and feel a kind of spiritual emotional connection to it and I did that through lots of you know going to the same not not complex stuff but like going and having picnics in the same place walking in the same place telling them about the area loving it I suppose and then they loved it as well and 
I feel very happy that they've they that it's and I see I see landscape as like going into your soul, into your kind of DNA in some way or another. Jimmy got a, a um a tattoo from his friend in the next door village of the white horse, the Uffington white horse is a really strange shape. He got it tattooed on his back and he was like quite sheepish about it. He said, Are you not cross? And I said, like, why would I be cross? I'm really happy that you love it so much that you want to actually have it on your body. Oh. The the young the younger ones are in are I mean, it's complex. It's uprooting, isn't it? It's destabilizing for everybody. Do they, do they know that they will probably be going back in a few years? Yes, yes, they're totally yeah. aware. Yeah. Totally, totally. And this That's is an interesting mindset, isn't it? To know that this is a chapter for them, and that they can hold on to to mm. home because mm. they will be returning. Whereas if they weren't returning, I want mm. then it, maybe they'd feel differently. You don't know. Yes, I think it would be hard. I think it would be. I mean, in some way, I think it would be much harder to, to mm. uh, for me, it would be much harder. I think for them, it would be much harder. At the same mm. time, I find the sort of, the impermanent, I mean, really interested by people, you know, who work in the military or diplomatic families who move constantly of how do you, what do you hold on to if you know you're going to leave? And I sometimes feel confused about how do I create home here? Because it's impermanent. And surely there has to be like an element of permanence for something to be truly yeah. But that can't be the case because plenty of people, you know, move around all the time and they must still feel at home somewhere. So I, I don't know the answer to that. I think and I and I would say I obsess about it. And when I meet people, I'm always asking them, especially in a city like like Washington, like tons of people move through all the time. And I met someone who was Danish on Sunday. And she was saying, oh, I love moving every four years. I love having to meet new people and recreate home and and that's really different to what I feel, you know, I feel I really love being in the place that I've created. And the kind of, it's been, it, it does feel like it's quite hard. My relationship with Oxfordshire, where I, which I, where I say where I live, where I think of as home, proper home, is quite hard one. You know, it's, it was difficult to create that relationship with the place. It was, I wanted to move and, 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 you know, my sister died and then her death sort of helped me to, ground myself in the landscape I think so there's there's a, like a real you know it's deeply symbolic that landscape and that house that we have in Oxfordshire is deeply symbolic of human long my sense of human love and longing and family and loss and suffering and joy and memory and all the stuff that you know is not just a place of joyful memories it's a place of some sadness as well for me because of what happened to Nell. But the sadness is part of what makes it resonate as well, you know, and makes me feel like I belong there. But I think I am, I think I am overly preoccupied by home and overly preoccupied. I mean, not overly, but like I am, I really mind about home so much. I really mind mm -hmm. about where we are. To give the kids that sense of, I guess it's, more than anything, it's wanting to them to associate home with love and stability, really, isn't it? And I guess mm. wherever, ultimately, I do really think that the only thing that matters with your children is loving them, really, and where you are, where you send them to school, what you do with them, what activities you do, you know, what you believe bring them up believing in. It doesn't, that's all really, really secondary to that sense of kind of love and belief you have in them 
And I suppose maybe that's what home embodies for me more than anything is, is and that was what my mum gave me. It's just like a deep sense of love and belief as a child. Um, so that even when home ended in this horrendous way that we talked about, I've still sort of one, you know, I've still, I think she gave me a real confidence despite the everything that followed. I think she gave me a real sense of the um rightness of home and 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 that sense of love is yeah I think it's the most I think it's the only thing really that matters thank you so much for listening if you'd like to hear more from Clover you can follow her on Instagram at Clover Stroud linked in the show notes and there you'll find information about the books Clover has had published and her new one on home out May 2024 as well as her podcast, Tiny Acts of Bravery. Thank you for listening. And quickly before you go, it would be amazing if you'd be up for tapping the five stars to review this podcast so that it can reach more people. It only takes a second, but makes a big difference to how far this episode can travel. Thank you.